Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Good evening and thanks for tuning in. Uh, this is Beyond Governance. Uh, my name is Nimrod Mbele. I am excited once again to be sharing this space and time with you as we share insights and views on topical issues which shapes our, our country's social and economic narratives. I don't think one could be off the mark when one claims that South Africa is never boring. Uh, it's in a very exciting country. We live in an ex- exciting times. Uh, as we always have conversations that really stimulates a, a kind of, con- kind of um, trajectory that, you know, seeks to build uh, the economic landscape as it were. Um, tonight I will reflect on what we're seeing at the Zona Commission via the testimonies. Uh, shared by the likes of, uh, you know, uh, Koko Matsika, uh, Brian Mulefa. And, and the question is, to what extent are these testimonies gravitate towards the social cohesion? That's a bigger picture that we all need to think towards. I also, I'll also be reflecting on issues raised by the Zuma Foundation against the impeccable judge order. Uh, the, the, the operative word being impeccable. So far, nothing untoward has been found against him. And hence, I'm deliberate in that kind of narrative. Thirdly, on the agenda, uh, we'll, we'll have a quick reflection on the budget speech delivered by the finance minister last week. And it makes sense of a very complex, uh, you know, comparison, com- well, complex balancing act, I would imagine. I will be joined in line by Ellen Mukoki, who's the CEO at uh, the South African Chamber of Commerce and Industry, as well as Justice Ndaba, the executive responsible for finance and strategy at the Knowledge Incas Groups. The two colleagues are definitely not strangers to this particular show, as in the past they've shared their views and and and, and insight on very complex uh, and complicated governance issues. But anyway, before we get into the gist of our issues, um, you know, let me uh, thank uh, the 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 Overdrive team, Simon and Dominic, for a job well done. And let me also take this opportunity to thank the the team of this particular show. Sabisa, uh, thank you very much for putting the show together. And last but not least, let me thank Mabutana. Uh, thank you for being a diligent soul that you are and continue, and, and continue to continue to do, uh, us proud. As we kick off the conversation, um, I, you know, one of the biggest issues that one would want to know is, is how do you find the deliberations at the commission, uh, that is on the commission of inquiries into state capture? Are you still intrigued or, or have you lost appetite on what appears to be same old, same old, denial, 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 particularly about those who are implicated? I personally find that uh, the revelations at the Zona Commission fascinating to say the least. Some of those uh, who are implicated, in my view, never saw the day coming. And that's my honest view. And one such person was the former Jacob, was the former president, Jacob Zuma. I mean, this is a person who had signed the commission in existence, but I don't, I still don't think he anticipated the kind of avalanche of issues, uh, and contestation, which actually puts him at the center of the inquiry. Um, you know, this is a person that has asked for a day in court and guess what? Um, you know, his wishes, his wishes were granted. I mean, if anything to go by, the Concord will, uh, hear his contempt case against the former, I mean, will, will hear his contempt case uh, on the, on the 25th of March. 
Um, in my view, I don't see, you know, the, the, the former president refusing to appear before the commission, although some of his, um, you know, followers, particularly the, the, the foundation, as well as whole of other, you know, individuals and group of individuals, uh, uh, arguing that, you know, the, the, the Zondo, um, Judge Zondo has been abusive or abused his power. And the reality is that there's nothing of substance which has been presented to argue or even, you know, affirm that kind of claim. I mean, one thing that I found intriguing as I was going through some of the notes is the fact that the, the foundation, the Jacob Zuma Foundation, uh, uh, you know, indicated that, you know, the president in an event that he's been, you know, uh, fined, he should be fined or imprisoned for at least six months. And, and the question is, I mean, um, which, did they appraise themselves with the, with the, the, the reference, uh, the terms of reference for the commission? And it doesn't look like they, they, they are well acquainted with the, how the terms of reference would, would, would derive and the, 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 and the legitimacy of the commission itself. Because if they were aware of exactly how the, the commission draw, draw its legitimacy, they will not come with statements such as uh, the president, the former president could be jailed for what, for six months or fine because they are not in a position to judge uh, the extent to which the president had to be, you know, uh, uh, you know, sentenced. But I also don't see, you know, the former president sustaining that argument of power, you know, uh, you know, by, by the judge uh, because most of his issues uh, borders on conspiracy and there's nothing factual which gives us, or anybody for that matter, a, some kind of a concrete, uh, supposition which is worthy of, of, of being entertained. Against, I mean, the reality is that uh, in a course of call, I mean, the, any determination, uh, has to be based on facts and evidence and not hearsay, uh, which is backed up by, you know, by, 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 by absolutely no, no substance, if I may add. I suppose you also hear in the day when the, 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 the current president, Cyril Maposa, appeared before the Zona Commission himself as this gesture, in my view, and more in, in the minds of many of South Africans that I've had the privilege of talking to, will somehow go a long way in quelling the claims of preferential treatment. You know, and I think in an event that he appears, we were able to, uh, uh, you know, get to a point where South Africans are able to speak the truth, because there are a lot of narratives, there are a lot of misinformation, you know, peddlers, uh, whose agenda seems to want us to move away from from why the commission was established. You know, we all need the truth. You know, um, the, the commission was established to unveil the truth so that those that were found wanting should face appropriate sentences so that we can all move together. One of these issues, one of the things that I've picked up, uh, you know, over the week, I mean, during the course of this week, of course, is the, the French, the French judiciary, which I think, uh, have taught South Africans or about to teach many South Africans what it means, what it means to be, you know, uh, you know, to, to be, not to be above the law. If the French were able to do that and convict, convict, the, you know, the former president uh, for three years, uh, for uh, information peddling and corruption. Surely we can definitely learn something about, you know, we can definitely learn something from the French in that score. 
What are your views? I appreciate your, your insight uh, via SMS line, which is 34519. The telegram is 061-895-1019. Of course, my Twitter handle is at Mbele Nimrod. While on the judiciary, um, one of the issues that we've picked up, which has got South Africans talking, uh, possibly for the wrong reason, I would imagine, is the judgment, uh, controversial judgment passed by Judge Trope. Um, for those who missed the story, you might re- realize that uh, Bongo, uh, the former minister of, uh, the former state security minister was, um, you know, acquitted, um, you know, following, you know, the allegations leveled against him that he, you know, obviously tried to bribe uh, the, 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 uh, the advisor or the, the, the secretary to parliament. Uh, to try and stall or, or influence unduly the inquiry of ESCOM back as, as, as early as 2017. We have seen how that kind of claim or allegations have arose a serious voice of dissidence. Uh, key among this, in my view, has been Yohan um, Kiswa, you know, who chairs the freedom under law. I mean, his argument is such that, you know, the judge... Uh, did not make an honest evaluation, and therefore he's not fit, you know, to hold office. This, of course, comes across, uh, it is a build-up on numerous incidences which uh, supposedly puts the judge, which which puts uh, Judge Hopper, uh in a very precarious position. But what do you think? You think um, Johan Kichwa's claims that um, Judge Hopper's evaluation of the case um, did not live up to the standards? Or the pedigree as we're expecting it. I'm sure, I'm sure South Africans have a lot of views on this particular issue. Um, you know, as we move forward on this particular issue, uh, we've heard again, uh, the testimony from Coco Marcella about the relationship which he had, you know, which he claims he did not have with, uh, Salim Issa. Uh, you know, for those who may not know Salim, this is a guy who was supposedly, uh, dubbed the lieutenant of the Guptas. And there's been accusation and, and, and counter accusations. The truth of the matter is that, you know, this is why we need the kind of commission that we have so that we're able to see trees from the forest, if you like, so that we're able to unearth the truth and make determination based on facts. Because here, I mean, he says <laughs> one of the very interesting uh, observation or, or claim that he made is that, um, you know, the former minister is, is a pathological liar. Uh, because they, you know, she's trying to concoct some kind of a story because he is clean, so he says. But these are issues that can only be made clearer based on, on, on the kind of proceedings that we're seeing at the Zona Commission. For, if you don't do that, we'll all be running around like headless chicken, you know, and not making sense if, 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 if you were. But anyway, that, those are the kind of issues that I want you to reflect on as I take this opportunity to, to welcome Ms. Ellen Mkoki, who's the CEO at Saki, as well as Justice Nava. Colleagues, good evening and welcome. Good evening and welcome, Nimrod, and uh, uh, good evening to your listeners as well. Thank you very much, sir. Justice Nava, you're welcome as well. Good evening, Dr. Mbele and your listeners. Thank you so much. The pleasure is mine, sir. Earlier on, I made, uh, you know, as a prelude to this kind of conversation, I reflected on what we have seen, uh, the latest in terms of the Zona Commission, um, I just want to guess, maybe get a sense from Ellen as, as we kickstart. Uh, are you inspired by what you're seeing at the commission or are you completely flabbergasted to a point where you've lost hope? W- what is your immediate 
uh, texture in terms of how the proceedings are going? Well, you look, uh, uh, the, the most important aspect of why we are where we are with Zondo is that we need to give ourselves credit in South Africa. Uh, and, and I say this very uh, with respect because we have to acknowledge that we're in a democracy and it's a constitutional democracy which is underpinned by the law. So when you see things like a commission of inquiry where a lot of issues can be ventilated, we can go back into discovery on who could have done this and the other in terms of wrongfulness, behavior or corrupt conduct, etc., etc. That is not necessarily a negative process. It is a positive process because what it says, it says that this democracy works. It says that the constitutional framework actually works. It says that the laws that govern conduct and behavior are actually operating. This is just a byproduct of many of the other processes that we could go through. You can have the commission now arising out of a commission. There may be investigations. There will be further people being charged, prosecuted. People go to jail. That is exactly what you'd like to see in a functioning democracy, that things are not swept under the carpet, that those who've done something wrong, their day will come where they appear before a court process or a commission such as this one, so they account for their behavior. So in that particular sense, it's not in itself a process that we could see as negative. It's a very positive process. It's like when you see so many people being charged with corruption, the, the, the examples you made with Sarkozy, uh, it was actually the former president as well, Jacques Chirac, who also was found guilty and convicted by the courts in France. That's good. It says to the world that the rule of law works in this particular place. You're not actually going to get away with wrongful conduct and you're not going to do corruption and actually just disappear, which is something that would happen in many, many other countries. So, yes, we are shocked and and in, in, in other cases, very disgusted to hear some of the testimony that is being led. But that is part of the process. It's part of the process of healing the land. It's part of the process of investigating. It's part of the process of cleaning the place up. South Africa, five years from now, South Africa, ten years from now, will be a very different place if we continue to show that the institutional framework that underpins the democracy are are actually working. Thank you very much for that observation, Ellen, which I believe most South Africans could absolutely concur with you. Um, while on that issue, Justice, to what extent do you think um, the kind of uh, issues and deliberations that we're seeing, which are either disgusting, as Ellen has pointed out, or, or affirming the extent to which uh, we've got a very functional, vibrant democracy, What's your take on that? Are we, are, are you optimistic? Uh, what's the mood based on the cycle of influence that you have or the kind of discussions you have with, 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 with your colleagues? Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Mbella. I, I must echo the, the sentiment of uh, Mr. Mkoki there. Uh, there is nothing that he said that I can disagree with. Certainly the, the noises that you hear are normally in the political spheres, but as to on the process side of the commission, it can only be um, uh, uh, good things that uh, augur well for our country. And certainly the commission in itself is an inquisitorial kind of uh, uh, structure. Therefore, other 
institutions have to come on board in terms of ensuring that, for instance, institutions such as the NPA and so on have have to take their own processes in terms of prosecuting. Uh, but certainly, um, what it means, as Mr. Mukoki has said, in five to ten years' time, uh, other people, uh, other institutions would begin to tighten the screws in terms of policies and processes uh, as these things come to the fore. So it can only be uh, uh, beneficial for many of the institutions because many, many at times, uh, many of the things that are coming out, um, you know, uh, it was because of the loopholes that you found in the systems. So it gives us the benefit to though go back and amend policies, amend uh, certain regulations and laws and so on and so forth. So it can only augur well for us. Thank you so much. No, thank you very much, uh, Justice. I mean, I like your 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 your, your latter point about you know giving the, this process is giving us is giving the South Africans uh, a leeway to address some of the you know uh, glitches or shortcomings in relation to, to the police. Uh, the policies and legislation which um, were somewhat abused by those who who were, I suppose, smart or savvy. Days obviously has uh, has been numbered. But one of the issues that I want us to reflect on, if you may, is the kind of lessons which the the French has, has taught us or is teaching South Africans. I mean, the conviction of of Nicholas Sorosky. What does it mean for South Africans? What does it mean for those? Who, uh, you know, who, who thinks about the law? Uh, you know, Ellen, Ellen, what, what would be your take on that? Well, I think that, uh, look, uh, South Africa has its own laws, and I think that we can only, uh, quite clearly marvel when we see that other countries are able to follow through as well, because sometimes you can have a very good letter of the law, but you find that the process that goes into the execution of that law or implementation of that law is slower. So one of the risks that we face even now in South Africa in the context of the Zondo Commission and all these other things is where you see the disconnect uh, between some of the revelations that are coming out of the Zondo Commission, the inquiries and very deep investigations that have actually taken place. And then you see the SAPS, uh, you see the investigating arm of the criminal justice system uh, not reflecting that level of professionalism or seriousness. Or you also see uh, the National Prosecuting Authority not taking decisions and not prosecuting people speedily enough. So one of the things you can learn from the French is that these things that Nicolas Sarkozy supposedly did only actually happened very recently. I think it's about 2014 or some of thereabouts, where he attempted to influence the judge or wanted information from uh, a judge about another, another matter uh, and promised this particular person that we will actually elevate you to some kind of another position. So that level of speed is something that is going to make a very strong determination in respect of South Africa's seriousness in combating uh, the scourge of, of crime, corruption, and a whole range of these things that are part of the malfeasance uh, architecture of what we're currently uh, living with uh, at this point in time. And it's very important, therefore, that the level of resource allocation that gets to be given to the, the investigating authorities as well as to the prosecuting authorities is commensurate with the level of work that is needed. And what we mean sometimes by resources, people always assume you mean they have a budget or 
they don't have a shortage of the budget or they are filling at vacancies. It goes beyond that. It goes into the selection of the people of actually the right people. So when you look at Zondo, for instance, and you somehow look at some of the people who've been leading the evidence, you somehow always ask yourself a question. Why is that entire Zondo commission system, including its own investigative um, personnel, including the, the, the people behind it and the way they're able to handle and run the data, analyze it, why does our NPA not look like that? <laughs> okay, why does it not look like that? What would it take for the NPA to have people of a similar caliber, whether it's Mr. Seleka, whether it's uh, Kate, um, uh, whether it's, uh, it's uh, Mr. Pretorius, and any of those particular people. Perhaps maybe these people are there in the NPA, maybe we don't actually see them when they're actually at work. But that level of professionalism and skill set has got to be something that we're able to articulate. And we should stop the bureaucracy. Oh, yeah, you know, the salary of a director or the salary of a senior prosecutor at the NPA can only be 700000 And if the people in the private sector are getting paid $2 million, what we don't want to do that. Let's go for the best talent. Forget about the money because it's an investment. It's not a cost. Let me leave it there for now. Uh, thank you. You know, you've always been very consistent about the, 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 the importance of meritocracy. And, and I, I do share your sentiment that, um, you know, uh, speed will determine or will provide the level of confidence that we need to see in the country. I mean, how the French have expedited the conviction. It's something that we need to look at. I mean, again, uh, as we gravitate towards the break, I want Justice just to quickly reflect on this thing, and perhaps maybe we'll follow up with this kind of conversation after the break. You know, the issue that Ellen raised, Justice, is the significance of resource allocation, which is a cornerstone of of any successful, um, you know, system. We do need men and women who are competent, men and women with pedigree, and men and women who would who would mirror or resemble exactly how the commission is constituted. Um, to what extent do we South Africans feel that the NPA and SEPs uh, is gravitating towards, towards that particular uh, line of thought? While you still ponder on that particular issue, I believe we uh be behind with with our with our uh, rental. Let's let's take a break. We'll come back in just a second. Beyond Governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. I'm joined online by um, Ellen McCorky, who is the CEO at the South African Chamber of Commerce and Industry, Saki. And, of course, Justice Indabu is also the executive responsible for finance and strategy at Knowledge Anchors. The question that I've asked colleagues just before we went to the break uh, was the extent to which, or perhaps maybe uh, Justice to reflect slightly on, on the importance of uh, the issue that was raised by Ellen. First is about speed, uh, because the speed would determine the public confidence, which has dwindled so much. Um, just the person maybe you may just come through here and give us a sense on, on what is it that has been done to try and project the NPA and all the other um, execution arms of the state uh, to mirror the same uh, picture as we have seen at the Zona Commission. Doc, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Mbele. My input there could be that, you know, we all know that by now in the previous years, many on, of the institutions such as 
the NPA were deliberately weakened so that um, there can be manipulation of systems and things like that. And therefore, part of the recovery and the renewal was to ensure that they are capacitated. And the, the NPA, the National Prosecuting Authority, was uh, no different in the sense that from um, the leadership level to the staffing to the all the internal capacities that you require uh, were eroded. So what is encouraging now, even though there's a, a slowness of turnaround of processes, we can be encouraged by the fact that uh, many of the vacancies that were um, there at the top, as an example, at leadership ve- uh, level, have now been filled. I mean, Advocate uh, Batoy is there, uh, Advocate Van Rensberg is there, uh, the other one, uh, I think Advocate uh, Rasitaba, uh, Advocate Mukhatla and Dikok. So the full executive level is now fully capacitated. And if you look at the um, the, the investigative capacity, already many of the vacancies are being filled. I'm hoping that like everybody else, I'm quite keen to see the speed with which many of the uh, cases can be brought to court. But we know that as a result of the incapacity, uh, the NPA itself had uh, 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 backlogs going back to, to almost three years in queue. So I know that uh, many of the processes that they had to embark upon was to to, to, to try and recover and, and, and deal with the backlog. So I'm hoping that as the uh, things are coming out of Zondo, they can also now prioritize some of those cases to, to bring them to book as in a way of um, giving us South Africans hope that something is happening because we need a balance of while they deal with the, the backlog, that they can also prioritize some of the live cases so that we can see that something is happening. So that would be my input um, as well on the, on the basis that this, uh, yes, I do agree that we need to see something to show, to, 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 to demonstrate that something is happening. We need to see action being taken. But I'm just cautioning to the fact that um, there are issues at hand, but there is hope in the sense um, many of the things that are needed for them to begin to impact on the speed are beginning to happen. Yeah, thank you very much for that observation, Justice. I mean, I, I suppose we can all agree that, um, you know, uh, the, the NPA has been a very, um, um, you know, it has been an arm of state that was deliberated deliberately for that matter so that it may not proceed uh, with the kind of rigor that South Africans would have expected. And I think it also makes sense in that uh, key strategic positions have been filled so that, so that we're able to move with speed by, you know, taking, you know, those cases which are supposedly low hanging fruits, um, to court very quickly. But the problem that South Africans, um, have reflected on from time to time, uh, is this juncture between what the commission is putting forward and the ability of the NPA to prosecute. It is one thing to level or to point fingers um, at the all culprits. It is another to bring about concrete 
uh, evidence that w- that can stand within the court of law. To, to what extent, perhaps maybe you think uh, what is happening now is in a position or is in a way of trying to bridge that particular gap? Because at one level, we get we get all hyped, hyped up by hearing all these renovations that, oh my goodness, there's something substantive here. And what is substantive to a layman, legally speaking, may not be substantive. So the question is, what is it that you that you've done differently, you know, to try and and mitigate that particular risk? At one level, you raise expectations uh, of the public that we've got something here, we've got something, we've got some level of substance. But when it comes to exec- uh, prosecution, uh, the case just falls flat. I suppose that's the issue that uh, Ellen could come in. Uh, uh, I mean, earlier on, you, earlier on, he reflected on the merit uh, by by getting a point where the NPA is is driven by men and women of stature. What else needs to be done, yeah. Ellen, to make it a point that yeah, yeah. Um, we've got successful cases, not just yeah, in the yeah. public domain, but from a legal point of view? When you drive a meritocracy, you drive it on the basis of a template. In other words, there is a template that says the design of this particular piece of work or the job category, let's say the NDPP, the National Director of Public Prosecutions, should be a person who meets these particular requirements. So that's the first thing. And uh, it's not so much about, well, we found someone who is willing to take the job. And, 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 and please underline what I just said. It can't be a job where we found someone who's willing to do it. It has to be a job that is contested for every other legal mind in this country should want to be the attorney general of this country. That's a very, very important statement. It can't be a job where, well, you know, I'm not so sure. I don't think I'm available. You know, if the president of the United States wanted to tap you for being the attorney general of the U.S., every lawyer in that country is angling and hoping and praying that they are the people who are actually going to be chosen because the stature of the job is actually at that level. As a result, whether you go to state, whether you go to district, you find some of the top talent that are actually manning those particular posts in the prosecuting authority. So the restructuring of the entire NPA in so far as it relates to uh, people, the selection, recruitment, retention, training and development, performance management, compensation, and the culture and the values of that particular place is what we mean when we talk restructuring. So I was listening to the finance minister the other day delivering his budget, and he talks about structural reforms. You can't speak structural reforms when you don't go deep into the small little issues in respect of how do you choose and how do you select and how do you retain the teachers that are going to be at early childhood development. It starts there. It doesn't actually start with the big stuff where where we found someone in Switzerland and they're willing to come back home. Every conceivable person who sits in that bar in Johannesburg or in Pretoria in Cape Town should be saying, I want to be chosen. The very hottest available talent should be able to say, I want that job. That's when you know that you've got the right person. I I made this particular statement the other day when I was talking about how you recompose and redraft and restructure the senior executive team in the public service of the DGs, that those people who are DGs, their roles and their level should not be any different or should be at the same level as the senior C-suite level executives of a JSE listed entity, the top 40. That's only 32 or 35 government departments. 
So the people that are currently in those jobs, in the top 40 listed entities, should themselves see themselves as candidates for taking any gig as a DG of a department. That's when you begin to drive a meritocracy. Then you change the culture that these people, when they come in, how are they going to be received? So I'm saying that when we say structural reform to drive a meritocracy, we have to go back even to the current existing NPA and ask the question, do we think the current NTPP is the right person in a meritocracy? Yes, she might actually make it. But there may be other eight other candidates who are actually better than the NTPP. The difference why we have the person that we have is because we didn't actually drive a meritocracy. So a number of the appointments that we put in were not necessarily on the basis of meritocracy, they were on a basis of selection, a process that is not necessarily by its very nature guided by what we mean by meritocracy. Meritocracy is driven by a template that says we're going to go for the best and we go find the best. The best indeed. Talking of the best, one of the issues that I want you to reflect on uh, as we proceed is the controversial acquittal of Bongo in you know, on allegations of corruption and, and influence peddling, you know, by, you know, and, and of course that has evoked a whole lot of emotions from South Africans. Uh, to what extent do you think, I mean, the, the kinds of expression made by, by, by Judge Krichler as an example, and of course, many other South Africans, um, particularly at the backdrop of some, you know, contestations about the legitimacy or the rigor of the, our judiciary. To what extent do you think, um, you know, the, the, the acquittal is actually affirming those kinds of narrative or is it too early to say about what has happened with, with this, with the, with the, with the, uh, you know, the acquittal of Bongo? Uh, Justice, can you maybe just share your, your thoughts on it? Because I know that's one issue that you're very passionate about. I must say, I'm not a, a trained lawyer myself. However, having read the judgment, I, I, I personally was also quite surprised in the sense that from what I could see, the, the judge made a call that the, uh, the case had no prospect of success if it went further. So it it is not like it went to trial. So that is the distinction. So, and what surprised me as well is that the judge uh, made a call that he, the 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 case actually was reduced to um, the advocate Ferrana's word against advocate Bongo. Which is quite surprising, and also the 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 the, the reference that Advocate Vehana had to. Why did Advocate Vehana not report the case at the police station? Which, for me, you know, I'm not too sure of the processes because it appeared to me that the advocate had, in fact, reported it internally to his principals, and as a result, his principals and his colleagues, and uh, you know, if. I have a conversation with you on the phone. It's, it's, yes, it is between me and you. However, immediately thereafter, uh, if it begins to concern me, the, the content of our conversation, what is the natural thing to do? I would report it or discuss it with my colleagues. So I don't think that was explored by the judge or the basis on which. So for me, it was quite questionable, the basis on which he acquitted Advocate Bongo. But I mean, uh, perhaps... Uh, trained lawyers could see it differently, but from my own assessment, um, you know, I I I I I thought um, it, the acquittal itself does not mean that the advocate 
was not in the wrong. Advocate Bongo was not in the wrong because clearly those issues, he was not cross-examined, those issues were not tested, and to acquit the person on the basis that um, he did not report the case to the police station uh, sounds quite fishy for, to me. Well, well, that's something that, you know, I mean, I was uh, equally perplexed by, 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 by that kind of ruling because you would have imagined if uh, that those kinds of allegations, particularly in the context of um, the, the state capture, because there's a, there's a positive correlation. And other than that, there are other instances or other allegations leveled against him uh, or implicating him on the state capture. And for the fact that we did not have the benefit of of testing the evidence or testing the validity of the claims and and being you know given the witnesses an an, an opportunity to reflect uh, and that obviously did not work out well to most South Africans. These issues you don't have to come a lawyer. I don't know what what Ellen is. You don't have to come a lawyer uh, to make a, a determination on on something that did not. It that did not withstand the test of time in terms of rigor. It was not well, rigor same. At least that was yeah. rigor Yeah. Yeah. Well, Namrat, I, 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 uh, let me just come in here and maybe give you a very different view about this particular matter. And um, I support Orlando Pirates. And I know those who are listening are laughing wherever they are. <laughs> so for a long time, Pirates fans would complain oh, when Chiefs used to beat us all the time. Chiefs was always getting controversial penalties. Okay. Here's the thing. A penalty is not what you as a fan think it is. A penalty has a qualification. One of the definitions of a penalty, it is that it was awarded by the referee. Until the referee awards it, it is not one. And once a referee has awarded it, it is one. Now, the circumstances that led to the penalty may be controversial from time to time. You know, Dr. Kumalo didn't do this, so-and-so didn't do that, and we got a penalty that was controversial. He wasn't pushed. You know, he dived, and someone was telling a story that when Ronaldo used to be at Man U, he used to dive a lot, and he used to get a lot of controversial penalties until one of the top players in the world pulled him aside and said, you're a great player. You are actually going to be a FIFA World player, but can you cut out the diving? Okay? And he stopped. <laughs> and the point was, he would have been awarded a lot of penalties that were not actually valid. But that penalty stood because it was the referee's final decision. I disagree with people like uh, retired Justice uh, Johan Krichler when they want to rule from the grave and they criticize a sitting justice because of a decision that he is taking at that particular time. Our courts have got hierarchies, okay? So you start at the lower place, whether it's a magistrate's court, you're going to move up to the high court, you're going to move up to the SEA in Bloemfontein, you're going to end up at the constitutional court. Is the constitutional court always going to take the right decision? No, of course not. <laughs> but the decision that they take is going to be the final decision because that is our system. Without that constitutional court, we don't have anything else. You and Justice and myself are going to argue until we're blue in the face. I'm darker. I'm probably going to be gray in the face. (laughs) So, but the point is, when you run a democracy with an institution and the institution that you've agreed to abide by is going to the institution that is based on a, a court system. Courts are not scientific places where they are very, very, very accurate. Courts are going to surprise us sometimes. And they take a decision and you look at it and say, whoa, I'm not so sure. And this is not only a South African issue. 
a big, 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 huge case happened in the United States many years ago around abortion, and that case is called Roe versus Wade. It has occupied the minds of Americans for decades up until now. Because nobody can ever say, was it really, really the right decision? Was it the wrong decision? There was a time in this country where there was a death penalty. And the legislators went there, and they actually removed it from the statute. There was a time where women weren't allowed to inherit or to have property. It was the law of the land at that particular time. And people then later developed, and they progressed, and they said, we don't like this thing of gender inequality. We want to give women equal rights. The point I'm making about that is that in the final analysis, society needs to improve and progressively move forward so that they can look at the laws. The justices don't make the law. What they do, they simply interpret the law. They will, and that's why sometimes in certain cases you'll find that it's not a unanimous decision. It's a majority decision because two of of the three saw it this way and the other guy saw it this way. You saw a case, I think it was involving Zuma just recently, where Justices Mukweng and the TCJ disagreed with the majority decision. And Justice Mukweng wanted a separate uh, judgment of his to be written, even though he has to abide by the decision. Now, was Mukweng correct? Were the other seven or eight justices correct? It's the system. That's how the system works. So if there is any unhappiness, for instance, would say a penalty or a justice slaughter has found this particular matter in another way. It is true that any other justice would have found it another way. That is a whole system. That's how it works. If the NPA is unhappy, they need to appeal to the SCA. They first appeal to him. He thinks there's a merit, and he, he declines the appeal. Uh, then they can approach the SCA directly or the constitutional court. That's how the system works. But for other justices who are outside of the system to be criticizing sitting justices, it's incorrect because they should allow the process to go through because you can always get a different decision from the higher court at all times. It doesn't make the decision, it doesn't make the justice of the lower court to be a bad person. No, it does not. It doesn't make them corrupt either. It doesn't make them stupid or someone who does not think. It is because in terms of the opinion or the facts that they looked at at that particular time, they were persuaded by their own values in a particular direction. Similarly, you go to the SEA, you'll find other justices disagreeing on other, other ones, just like it happened in the Constitutional Court, on exactly the same matter. But if we have to be honest, we need to respect the system. We need to respect the referee at a soccer match so that we Orlando Pirates fans don't bend down the stadium because we're not happy with how a particular goal was actually scored. And that's how the system ought to work. And it, it helps all of us because we know that we can look up to something even if we're going to be unhappy. We can always look up to a final decision maker somewhere in the system that says, okay, we've looked at it. We're now finally deciding this is the way we're going. And that, that's the way we go. And those are my comments about that. You know, thank you very much for that wisdom, um, you know, uh, Alan, because it is important um, that, you know, we give the system an opportunity. Uh, and I think I like your, your reference point around uh, appeals. In, in an event that, um, you know, we are not happy, there, there's a process that needs to follow. And, 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 and you're quite correct that judges don't, do not make the law, but they simply interpret the law. And judges will always disagree. Uh, on, 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 on specific issues. And I don't think the judge topic, you know, uh, judgment is not, is going to be, is going to be divorced from contestation. I'm sure as it proceed, a lot of, uh, you know, justices who, who may have ruled differently. I think they bought the issue that you, you bring into attention, which is something that South Africa's special minister embrace from time to time is to, you know, respect the process, 
and, and use all the channels which are legitimate to raise their concerns. And the issue that you've raised about, you know, other justices who want to rule from the grave, you find it, you find it plausible, you find it unfair and, and not worthy of, of, of being given the kind of attention, uh, 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 that, you know, popular media is actually doing. I suppose you've got a point there because, uh, we've been driven by emotions. And of course, the, the issue of Thorpe has precedent. There's other issues, uh, which, which has been used as a build-up towards his supposedly unfitness to hold office. But I suppose that's a, a conversation for another day. Um, earlier on, we start, when we started, I wanted us to uh, reflect the last point, uh, if you may, on, on the budget speech. I know we, we're running out of time. We literally have about uh, 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 four minutes uh, to wrap up. And I think we've said to the listeners, we're going to get uh, your views around, you know, the budget speech. I mean, we're currently, you know, uh, running a deficit. Uh, of about, uh, the last time I checked, about 370 billion rands, and we are indebted to so many uh, foreign and national institutions. And, and how do we turn, how do we turn this around? Your highlights about the budget speech by the, by the, by, by the, by the minister, uh, last two seconds, just two minutes. Well, well, if I may start, I think that, uh, uh, uh the minister of finance, obviously, he can, he can only announce a budget, but he's not the person who's going to deliver the business plan. Because the business plan that sits in a, in a whole range of other different departments is like the CFO in any other organization. CFO doesn't make the money, it just counts the money and then hopes that the people who've promised or made the promises that they have made in terms of where the money is going to come from, the money will arise. The difficulty, of course, of government is that government makes money from corporate income tax, uh, personal income tax and other indirect taxes, customs, duties, VAT and that kind of stuff. And all that money comes from the private sector. So depending on how the economy is performing, we need to be able to understand that the investment that the government needs to drive, it's like saying, for instance, if I want to make more money, I need to put more investment behind the chicken that is actually making the egg. In that particular regard, those variables, including skills, competencies, driving education, especially the education of the black child, they become very, very, very critical. We're seeing this whole mistake over and over again where kids are now getting ready to go back to universities and they now need to go raise money. That system has got to end. Uh, anyone who is good enough to enter a university or higher institution of learning should be given an opportunity to get in whether they've got money or not. We'll fix the money issue later. It is not going to bankrupt the state because what it will do, it will give us these skills nice and early. It will drive the levels of competences nice and early. And then we need to make money available for people who want to go into business. We need to stop the idea of a DFI behaving exactly like a commercial bank as though it's using depositors' money. So we need to relax the regulations around how we give people money to start their businesses. Stop asking black people where's their own contribution when you know you and I have been black all our lives. We don't know too many black people who've got a lot of money as own contribution. So just those two ideas in terms of enabling people to, 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 to get the skills without having to pay for them, they'll pay later. Enabling people to get into business by giving them money without creating a lot of restrictions and requirements and security requirements and equity contributions that don't make any sense whatsoever. We can make progress. Thank you very much. Quite a mouthful there, um, you know, Ellen. Justice, um, literally two minutes as we're wrapping up on this particular issue. The budget deficit, how do we go? How do we get along? I mean, Ellen made a number of interesting points. Um, you know, your floor is yours. Um, yeah, you know, uh, 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 
I, I must say I, I really agree with him. I, I, I was yet to find someone um, advocating this angle um, because uh, uh, often we hear quite conservative views. So for me, it is exactly what is just said. I mean, um, for us to, 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 to revive this economy, we cannot do that by um, forcing a government to, for, to austerity forcing government, we have to capacitate um, our youth. We have to ensure that the skills, the economy, um, the skills uh, 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 conveyor belt is, is keeps pumping. And one of the problems with, I, I, I know as a business person myself, is these requirements that he's talking about. I mean, you and me know that as we speak, we, 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 we are struggling to, to finance uh, even the projects that we have, just because we cannot provide uh, guarantees. I mean, we have already acquired the work. We're just struggling to, 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 to put the resources on the table. So I endorse everything that is said, because uh, clearly there's an advantage to other uh, people who have had historical uh, advantages. Now, if it, the, these contracts that we have, uh, had been given to them by now, they would they would have started the project because they would they would have easily uh, managed to 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 obtain resources. So it, that in itself has an impact and a negative one to the economy. So we need to review um, seriously how we 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 fund black businesses, especially small businesses, so that oh, yeah. more of them can come through. On that note, on that note, uh, Justice, thank you very much. Unfortunately, we're going to leave it there. We have run out of time. It has been absolutely fascinating to listen to both of you. Uh, you've made a number of insightful uh, points, which I believe the listeners out there will be able to make a determination on whether this country is going forward or not. Uh, unfortunately, we're going to leave it here. Thank you very much for coming through. Thank you for the invite, Nimrod, and thank you, Justice, as well. Thank you, Mr. Mugoti. Nice to hear from you again. Thank you.